Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. I will be joined today by Jen Ichikawa on the show as we interview Sam Sanchez. Who is Sam Sanchez, you ask? Sam Sanchez is the namesake for Sam's Place and Sam's Sports Bar. He's also a uh, part owner in Sperry's. So he's kind of a legend here in this town, and uh, I've known Sam for a really long time. And we talked to Sam about his his times in the old Bellevue location, as well as his location in 21st Avenue, and we just kind of catch up. I do have to warn you, the audio was really tough, so it's kind of patchy in places. I'm editing it to make it sound a lot better, but uh, hopefully it turns out all right, and I apologize. Uh, We're going to get that fixed. Want to uh, I want to say that I went out to dinner the other night for my wife's birthday, and we were Sunday night. We went out to Hathorne for St. Vito's Focaccia. Now, we had their chef, um, Michael Hanna, on the show on May the 4th, Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. And uh, just an amazing guy. And I've been dying to eat his Svencion pizza forever. And my wife's 40th birthday, and so we go. Guys, if you have an opportunity on Sunday nights, make the reservation now because his pizza is, it's unlike anything I've ever had. And the focaccia is so light and so like fluffy and just the flavors were fantastic. He's got a great green bean appetizer. The salad was wonderful. Pretty much everything there. I just got to give shout out to uh, Chef Michael Hanna for that amazing, amazing dinner. And while I was there, he came out to the table and I said, dude, I would love to have you come on our show talking shift. So that is going to be this coming Sunday, the 29th. It's going to be from 9 to 11, and it is on the Facebook page for Nashville Restaurant Radio. It's going to be live, and you can join the show. If you have a story that you want to tell, join the show. We will also be joined by Alex Wincos, who is the owner at Dino's in East Nashville, and a super, super cool person. Uh, she was just on our show uh, last week, and so we've got a couple of veterans from Nash Restaurant Radio going to come in, and we're just going to talk some shift. We're going to tell some stories. I'm going to get Alex to tell the full story of uh, smoking pot on the top of Dino's with Arcade Fire and uh, just all of the different things that they're doing. I know I've got a couple stories from the past week, and I want your stories. If you are out there and you've got a crazy story, something that's happened in the restaurant, we're going to have topics every 30 minutes for you to chime in on the chat, or you can literally click the link and come on the show. So lots of really cool stuff going on there, and uh, we would just love to have you there. Brandon's book club, the call, uh, the Zoom call, which is going to be on StreamYard as well. We're going to do that live also, and it is going to be at 7 o'clock Sunday night. So from 7 to 8, we've got the Brandon's Book Club call. We're talking about Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. We'd love to hear your take on that book. And then from 9 to 11, we're going to be talking shift all night long from 9 to 11. It's going to be lots of fun with Michael Hanna and Alex Wincos. All right, 
Let's check in on brand real quick uh, with our friends over at Sharpie A's. So we are super excited today to welcome in Erin Moso for our on-brand segment. She is the owner of Sharpie A's Bakery. How are you doing today, Erin? Great. How are you? You know what? If I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> so how are things in the bread-baking world? Uh, they're blowing up. Uh, things have been pretty crazy the last two months since everybody started going out again. Um, we're pretty much back to normal after, you know, 15 months of craziness. Um, so it, it's kicking our ass a little bit, but it's good. Just a little bit more time. We'll be, we'll be back too. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know what? Those are, those are good problems to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that this resurgence in the coronavirus doesn't, uh, keep everybody back out. We can wear masks and everybody go get vaccinated. We'll be okay. Yes, absolutely. I, I hope so too. You know, we're just finally catching up. You know, we were, it took so many months to figure out how to operate when everybody was shut down and only doing takeout. And then it stayed the same for basically, you know, eight months. And then all of a sudden, two months ago, everything just blew up again. So just getting used to that business and the pace again and making sure we have enough people here. Um, we're ready. Yeah. So you guys are celebrating 35 years of being a bakery that is serving uh, Nashville restaurants, and you guys deliver six days a week. Yes. Do you have a lot of people that take you up on six? Do you get deliveries every single day? Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of people who are getting fresh bread in, who are doing a lot of volume. Some that aren't doing a lot of volume just um, get it every morning or afternoon, uh, whatever they choose. Um, And then a lot of people get three to four days a week, but we definitely have multiple customers um, to get it every single day, which I think is the best option. What's the secret to your success? 35 years in business. What's the, what's, what makes you unique? What's the thing that really people love about Sharpies? Um, I think people love Sharpies because of the people that work here. I mean, obviously we start out, we have a great product that's fresh that was worked on, but honestly, my dad was, uh, people loved him and he talked to people and he was straight up and honest and um, people liked that. And I try to continue that. Um, but that basically, you know, we'll do whatever you need. Like if we can do it, we'll do it. You know, if you forget something, if you make a mistake, we got you covered. I love that. And then, you know, you guys leave in one of the cool things I think is you have over 130 different types of bread that you make. Mm-hmm. Somebody has their own recipe, their own thing that they're just, they're growing too fast and they can't make enough bread you guys will take that recipe and produce the bread and bring it to them every day. So they don't have to painstakingly do that every single day. Do a lot of people take you up on that? I think so. I mean, I definitely have talked to a lot of, you know, restaurant owners and, and other people who have this idea that they're going to make their own bread every day, um, which is awesome, but it can become overwhelming. If you, you know, are just making bread in the kitchen, that's, you know, while you're also doing all of your other stuff, it, it, it can just take up so much time. And we can do it for you and, and take that off your plate um, and have backup for you as well. I would love to name drop right now. So if we are talking, if you're out there and you're on the fence and you're thinking, hey, I should, should I buy bread? Should I make my bread? Should I buy the frozen bread from my broadliner? What are some restaurants that you are currently working with? Who are some of the, the, the names of people that you're delivering to all the time? Uh, we're always delivering to all the Burger Republics. Um, 
Sam's, all the different Sam's and uh, Sperry's locations. Perfect, as he's on the show today. Yeah, yeah we love them. <laughs> uh, Gabby's, probably our oldest, our customer that we've had the longest is uh, Libby at Vandy Deli. Um, she's probably been ordering from us for 25 years. Wow, so you go from like Sperry's Steakhouse to mm -hmm. like the Vanderbilt Deli. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what type of restaurant you are, you guys are really uh, a perfect fit for pretty much anybody who owns a restaurant. Absolutely. I mean, we do a high-end steakhouse places like uh, Morton's or Ruth Chris, their table bread. But then we also settle a lot of delis, food trucks, food carts, anything. Wow. Well, you guys are out there killing it. I know that a lot of people, um, if you don't know who Sharpies is, you can go online at sharpies.com or you can contact Erin. Just give her a call, 615 356 Seven two, and you can ask her any of the questions that you want to know. You can come down. I'm sure, you do bakery tours, uh, or she can come to you. But uh, they are they they're wanting to grow, and they would love to uh, they'd love to talk to you about your restaurant. So mm -hmm. check them out. Give them a call today. Right? Yes. <laughs> today, and you can also email us. Yeah, we've got a new website, sharpies.com. Um, so you can look at pictures of the breads just to get an idea of the kind of things we're making um, and browse the photos. If you're watching this right now on YouTube, you see that it says she is the owner of Sharpies. That's C-H-A-R-P-I-E-R-S. Sharpies. So that's C-H-A-R-P-I-E-R-S dot com. You can see the pictures and get everything going. Thank you so much for joining us today. Aaron Thank Moto, you, you're the best. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Man, I really like her. She is so cool. I just, every time I talk to Erin, I just love talking about bread. And I know that sounds weird, but she's uh, one of my favorite people who we work with. And I love all the sponsors, really. I mean, these, these guys I talk to every day, I work with all of them in my restaurants and I use them and I vouch for them. These are not just people that support the show. They're also people that I vet and I believe in. So if you guys need a good bakery, give Sharpies a call. Uh, Aaron Mosa will definitely take care of you. Like I said before, let's jump in here with Mr. Sam Sanchez. Thank you for joining us today. You know, I've done oh, a bunch me. of it. What's that? Thanks for having me. Uh, well, you know, I've I, we had Sam, we had Bob Tappen on our show, The Roundup, about seven, eight months ago, just to kind of check in and, and see how things are going. And you've been one of those people. I've known you for like almost 20 years, I guess. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Has it been that long? Yep. Yeah, because I've, uh, yeah, I've, I've known your brother for, yeah. I mean, I think I met you five minutes after I met him. So So my brother and you go way and back. And I, past and 20 years, past 20 years, yeah. Back when your, bro back when your brother could chug a beer and about – a second and a half. I think he can still do that. <laughs> He's one of those guys that can take like a cup of beer and just go, and just like turn it around and it's gone. Yep. And you're like, what? I remember, I remember my brother, the first time I ever funneled a beer was in Panama City Beach. And we got there after a 311 concert in Montgomery, Alabama. And my brother got a funnel and we got a, a, a box of beer in a styrofoam cooler. We walked down to the beach and I go, what are you going to do with that? And he poured a beer into a funnel and he goes, watch this. And it disappeared. And I went, oh, my gosh, this is the cool. That changed my life. 
contests upon contests on the beach in Florida funneling beers. So, yes, I think that one of my earliest memories was the uh, Sam's in Bellevue. I don't think a lot of people realized you had a Sam's in Bellevue. Yeah, wow. Uh, that, you know, Sam's in Bellevue was an interesting um, animal because we, we kind of like to um, – it wasn't a mistake. It was a um, – the problem is before liquor by the drink was approved going out west – we were the first stop at like a 30 minute drive for liquor by the drink, which, you know, same thing by, you know, beer. Um, and so being the first place that had live music, pool tables, uh, sports, you know, sports bar, um, sometimes brought in some uh, very interesting characters that would drive 30 minutes to the first bar. Uh, and usually there was some pent up, um, pent up anxiety that needed to get out, and sometimes that uh, really um, showed up at the restaurant. So it's the only, it's the only, it's the only Sam's we've ever had to have a bouncer at, Big Roy. And um, <laughs> I tell you, uh, we need. I smell Roy. a story coming on. Come on, give me a story from back in the day. Something happened with Big Roy. Oh my God. Okay. Well, first I'll go ahead and say Big Roy because he's, you'd look at him and you think he's not, you, know, you might, you're thinking, oh man, this guy is, you know, long, bearded, six foot six, 350 pounds. He's not. He was about six, two, slim, but had that country boy strong about him. Uh, I remember one time that a fight had broken out in the uh, pool hall, in the pool room. He said, "Watch the door." I'm like, "Okay, well, let's see. He's going to have a fight, and I'll watch the door." I'm like, "I'm, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that." And uh, he said, "Then all of a sudden, I hear somebody's got a knife," and I'm like, "Oh shit, this is not going to be good." Uh, and and I thought, so then I grabbed somebody. I said, "You watch the door. I need to get back there." So I run back there. By before I get back there, Roy has one under each arm. <laughs> he's got one over here and one right here. And he is, uh, and he's trying to reach to grab his fingers because once he's got him in, the, once he's got the finger like then he can start doing pressure. Because then, you know, I'm not saying he was causing them pain, but he had them both around the neck. And um, I remember saying, I, I, I remember saying, I'm going to call the cops. He goes, No, 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 I got this. I'm like, Don't call the cops. You got this. One guy had a knife. He got the got the knife taken away from him. Now he's under the arm of the two guys. I'm like, Okay. So it turns out it wasn't the two guys that was fighting. It was the one guy that started the fight and his buddy, both underneath their arms. And Roy grabbed both of them, went out the door. I remember I was like, Roy, watch out for his head. Ooh, I was like, mm, okay, well. Uh, and then because since it was a double door, since he gave one a, a quick knock to the head, it was time for the other one. I said, you mean to get that? Meaning the second door, mm, Roy's. Sam's the other head into the door jam. So I'm like, going, oh, I get it now. I get it. And so he gets them both out there. Yeah, yeah. He gets them both out there and looks at him and says, you can leave, not come back for, I think he said four weeks. Or he said four weekends because, you know, they were weekend warriors because they work Monday through Friday. So Friday, Saturday night is when they went to Nashville party. And then uh, I'll tell you that uh, – he ended up telling him, I can either call the cops and have you both arrested, 
or both of y'all can leave, come back in four weeks on and not pull this type of shit again. I'm like, um, okay. And I'm looking at Roy going, why not call the cops? And the both guys looked at him and said, all right, Roy. Yeah, sorry, man. And they both started walking off. I said, Roy, did you know them? He goes, yeah, I've known those two guys for blah, blah, blah years. And he goes, yeah, they, they started drinking and they started getting in trouble. He said, I could get them arrested, but, you know. I said, so they're not coming, but you told them not to come back? He goes, well, for four weeks. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And he says, keep watching the door. I'm not done yet. So he had to go back and talk to the other guy. And I found out what the deal was. And Roy kind of did his own little investigation and said, okay, no problem. You can stay. Those guys are gone. You, you know, whatever you said, don't say it to anybody else. Don't, don't make the guy want to pull a knife on you. And I, I looked at him and I was like, wow, he handled all this by himself. And then within 15 minutes, he's back at the door. Like, just another night, just another, no big deal. And I, I was looking at him going, oh, you know, but I tell you, Roy was, Roy would handle his own, his own scuffles. And he didn't think necessarily what I would think. Just call the cops, get the cops here. Let's get this here out. Roy knew that, you know, you get the cops involved. It's going to, somebody's going to get arrested. Someone's going to jail. Someone's going to have a really, really, really bad, bad night. Instead, he just said, break up the fight, quit being idiots. And we'll see y'all soon. <laughs> Okay, Do you know what Roy's up to today? No, I know I don't, but I, I don't. Uh, but he was, like I said, he was one of those, uh, he had that country boy strong where he would sit down, put down a salad, a cheeseburger, and then um, maybe not a dessert, but something else, you know, maybe, and then maybe like a big plate of vegetables. And, uh, about five hours later, he wanted to do the same thing. You know, he was uh, no idea where Roy is, but he he was uh, he was our our only bouncer huh. ever. That is Sam. So Sorry, I let's, I, didn't you you had well in Hillsborough Village, didn't you have like police that would watch the front door and like check IDs, like off duty police or something along those lines? Yes, we had. Um, because it was 21 and over for a while because you guys, after the smoking ban went into play, you guys kept the, you guys kept Sam's sports bar in the village. You were the only bars you could smoke at. Yes. Uh, and we did that because we had those giant garage doors. Okay, guys, this is the first spot where we had some technical difficulties and we had a little bit of a pause. We're going to pick back up the conversation once we all got back in. Sorry about your, your I would be interjecting and talking more but my mic was not working so uh thanks for hanging in there let's see what happens um all right <clears throat> so lots of good times at the bellevue location was that your first store that was uh, actually our second store uh the second store and we never expected to have the trouble i mean we were that we, we we were the first bar and so we didn't expect to have the um, the power drinking and partying and stuff that went on because the village was nothing like that. You know, the village was a, it was a bar, but it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a, 
and maybe it was, you know, somebody said it's because you have pool tables, and when you have pool tables, you have gambling, and when you have gambling, you have fighting. Uh, Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and you know, we didn't want to pull the pool tables out because it was a giant revenue stream for us. Um, so that's where, that's where uh, the bouncer came in. Now, yes, at the village, we did have um, non non armed security at the front door to care. I mean, to check IDs, but they were never really considered a bouncer. Uh, Roy was a bouncer. He checked IDs, but he was all he was. He was a bouncer. He broke up. He was ready to go. Yes, exactly. You know, um, our secure our guy at the door, our non. uh, Our non armed security guard would handle situations, but. Mainly, he was a third party witness in case something happened. And it's just that we didn't have fights. The A fight at the village store was like, oh, man, you know, my dad's law firm is going to sue your dad's CPA firm. You know, it it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't, uh, you know, they weren't ever going, you know, and if they were, it was a couple of shoves and both friends kind of like grabbed them and said, stop it and quit being an idiot. Yeah, but, well, I'll yeah. tell you that that 21st Avenue store um, in the Sam's in the village. I cannot tell you how many memories I have there of sitting at the bar, talking to other chefs, other restaurant people. Um, my brother told me I would be an uncle for the first time sitting in that building. Um, I met <coughs> Jesse Dashner there, who went on to be an amazing um, person in my life. And it Fresh Point, so many, so many amazing times at that location. Every time I drive by it, I get reminiscent and sad that it's not there anymore. That was an OG, like that was the spot that everybody went. Yeah, you miss it, it? it? Oh my God. You know, after um, after we left uh, 21st Avenue, um, I don't think, I think I drove past it twice and i think three years because i did as much as i could to keep from driving past it um it just i mean that store had so many memories and i remember you know i remember taking a brick when they were when they were doing uh when they were knocking it down and digging it out and doing everything i remember going and getting a brick from there and thinking god this is the only thing i have left of it uh, oh, and you know what? I actually have one of my greatest presents ever. Uh, greatest present. I actually have something that uh, you might think is pretty cool because everybody looks at it and goes, "Yeah, that's it." We're gonna. We think we're gonna see this, folks. Look at that. Oh, that's cute. That's the old Hillsborough Village. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Man, what a what an amazing time. We went to the we went and saw the Anthony Bourdain movie um Roadrunner at the Belcourt and we went to the Villager and it felt for a moment like I was in Hillsborough Village. Then you stepped outside again and it was just like, where are we again? I don't understand this place. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, Hillsborough Village at one time, you know, we called the Vodka Triangle. You know, cuz we had a uh, you know, uh, there was the Trace, uh, Sam's, and Sunset Grill. 
And so yeah. that's where, you know, the vodka triangle came from. Um, and can I ask really, you a question? Yeah. I think there's, a, I don't know if I ever, I think there's like speculation as to why that location closed. I know there was a fire, but like, what was the official, like, why did you move out of that spot? Um, our lease was up and the, uh, the landlord had timed it so that Bosco's, he owned Bosco's, Sam's, the parking lot, and that little green strip uh, right next to uh, the chicken coop. There's mm-hmm. a little green strip of yeah. grass there. In my front yard. And he wanted, yeah, yeah, he wanted to sell the entire block at one time with no tenants because at the time he thought he would be able to get the most money for it. And uh, just everything lined up. Timing was almost where he, he made our lease. He extended our lease, I want to say, uh, two years so it would equal up to where Bosco's was. So that at that time, and we even said, well, how about if we go month to month? And he said, no, come January one, you're going to be done and no month to month. And uh, so, yeah, and he he asked, well, can we have first right of refusal for the purchase? And he said, yeah, but you're not going to, you're not going to like what the price is going to be. So, you know, it's going to be way up there. And he goes, it's, it's the price is, the price is going to be, so that somebody comes in, scrapes it, and redevelops this entire block. He said, so unless you have the knowledge and the background and the finances to put together something like that, you know, it's, because you'd hate to learn on such, on a eight or $10 million project, how to do it. That's not something you just step into. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, so um, that's why we moved out, however, Six, about five months before the lease was up, um, right before football season, and it it makes it you know you always have those people that kick back and go, oh gee, it's funny how all of a sudden it caught on fire when y'all are going to close soon. It's like really no, you, you the first day in sports bar school, they teach you don't burn your restaurant down right before football season. That's a stupid idea. So when people say things like that, I'm like yeah. Right before the busiest time of the year, I'm gonna fire. I'm gonna find a restaurant down. As a year, an idea. Um, but um, and we could have we could have busted our butt and opened in like three months, but open in three months and then all of a sudden, you know, be open for two months and then. Is then it, which, which page is that on in the restaurant guide? <laughs> yeah, dead. It's, it's it's like on page one. Don't burn down your restaurant before football season. Oh, okay. More technical difficulties. <laughs> um, Sam, go ahead and tell your story, and he'll just kind of try to work it out. Okay. Uh, let's see. Went to school for criminal justice. Um, didn't uh, after uh, after I graduated from school, I had I mean, I'd always worked in the re- always worked in the restaurant and bar in college and I knew that I didn't want to go into the criminal justice world because it's, um, it's a calling, it's a definite calling, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. and to me, uh, I just didn't think financially I was going to enjoy it enough to 
to make it a career. Mm-hmm. So you, since I always bar, I I always bartended and and served in college at a little place uh, right off campus, and watching it, um, I would give them some. You know, it was owned by three guys that were fraternity brothers, and um, as as it operated, I would give them an idea here and here here and there that made their you know their business more functional and mm-hmm. you know occasionally they you know in the beginning they wouldn't listen to me and having worked having done everything i'd say hey you know if we put a hole here where we can slide because you had to walk past through you had because it was such a small place you had to the bar back had to get the beer out of the cooler walk down the line which means he's telling the guys hey i'm coming behind you coming while the guys are cooking so uh, I said, okay, I got an idea. If we put a hole here in the wall and we slide the beer boxes through as mm-hmm. much as we need, and then we have just one guy, and then, and then there was another one where just good suggestions I had that, uh, and I just kind of learned that I had a little bit of a knack for it. And I really enjoyed it because I enjoy people. And um, when I got out of school, so when I graduated, I went to Houston and I started working for a restaurant and met these two girls that were uh, used to come in the middle of the afternoon and they would, you know, their bill was 20 bucks and they would tip 20 bucks. And I you know, wanted to find out who they were. It turned out that they were two servers and they worked at Houston's in Houston, Texas, the Houston's mm-hmm. there because the original Houston's was here. And uh, that was back when that was in 86. Um, back when you had to know somebody to get a job at Houston, so you couldn't just go in and apply. It was such it was, there was a wait to work there, and the way they did it was you had to know somebody because that person had to be one of the best servers and also had to put their name on you. So if you mm-hmm. ended up not doing well, they would turn around and said, "I thought you, I thought you vouched for this person," and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and if you. You had to wear, you pretty much went in with a, sh- a press shirt, tie, and a jacket. And if you didn't have a tie and jacket on, your interview would last about 30 seconds. You know, uh, it was, they judged you by the second you rolled in, and mm-hmm. uh, they went from there. And a lot of people worked there 18 months and two years because it was pretty much the military of the restaurant business. I mean, it was strict, mm-hmm. and uh, you either <clears throat> you either didn't you either really didn't like it, or you really really loved it and became part of that culture. And I ended up loving it and worked for Houston for eleven years after that. I'm like dying to go there because they talk about it on Armchair Expert all the time, which is my favorite podcast. And I I mean outside of this one. Um, so, so I'm like dying to go there, but I'm from Tampa and Burns Steakhouse is like that too. Like that is like servers there make six figures and like you, they're there for 20 plus years. And it's very like, you're, you're like, you have to start in the dessert room if you even get hired and you can't move to the main dining room for years. It's, it's crazy. Well, it's always, yeah, I've heard of, <coughs> <coughs> That's always been one of those things. Can you guys hear me again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always been one of the things that I've always been impressed about Sam's is 
that even starting in the village was that it wasn't just a sports bar. It was a sports bar, but you had that level of service. I mean, you maintained that Houston style of you, the, the, the service standards. If you greet somebody in 60 seconds, you get the drinks back quickly and your food, the food has to be consistent every single day. Best damn pizzas you'd ever have. I mean, you can still get those at Sam's today, but I remember that was one of the things that you could go to this bar at one o'clock in the morning and it was like a late night hangout, but the food was amazing. And that's, I, I assume that's a carryover. You were at Houston's, then you went to Princeton's? Well, uh, well, I, I worked for Houston's and then uh, Don Shula Steakhouse came uh, looking for me. And, uh, you know, they, they, the Don Shula's in South Florida was connected to a hotel. You know, so it was more, it was kind of considered a hotel restaurant. And that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to create a really, really good restaurant in a restaurant hotel because as you know, the reputation for most restaurant hotels or most hotel restaurants is that it's an afterthought. You know, the food is okay. Um, it's good if you're having a big event. But as far as like just grabbing a quick bite, it's better to go to like an independent right around the corner because it's usually much better. But this rest, this hotel wanted to have Shula's. So Don Shula from you know the Miami Dolphins. And uh, they had opened and they had a really rocky open uh, and it turned out the general manager. So I was replacing the general manager. So I trained in Miami Lakes in Miami. And then after that took over uh, at the Fort Lauderdale Shula's, which is the Shula's on the beach. And that is a, um, uh, uh, it, my office overlooked I couldn't see A1A because it was right here because I was the second level. But my office, I turned around and I could look down and see the bar here. And then right over here, I could see A1A. I guess I was three stories up. And then after that, it was all ocean. So my office had a beautiful view of the ocean if I just looked straight out. Uh, and it was, <clears throat> so I worked for uh, Shoeless for about two years. But it was it was fun working at a, touristy hotel that was one of the high-end restaurants on the uh on on the on the a1a so yeah so that was there and absolutely loved it working for the coach i want to talk about an awesome 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 leader coach don shula awesome leader tremendous man such so, so 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 nice couldn't say enough about him uh and then i were and then i moved i'm sorry I, who's now my business partner now was working for a company called princeton's and they were opening a nashville store and so they wanted somebody with a houston's background and to run the, the prisons uh, but they couldn't there's there were two in alabama and they didn't want to promote anybody from alabama they wanted somebody that kind of had a little bit more of a um, a big city influence and that's when they came looking for me in South Florida. And I thought, okay, great. A, you know, lower cost of living, more money. And um, sure, and he wants to grow how many restaurants? And, you know, he had this big grand idea and, you know, eventually being a partner. And, of course, that sucked me in. I said, okay, great. I'm in. Sure. And 
and it turned out that that wasn't uh, that wasn't the case at all. He um, he had these big dreams, and unfortunately, uh, he um, they were just big dreams. Um, and I think uh, he he basically ran out of money. Eventually, he had some poor poor locations, and mm -hmm. uh, and I knew that his decision making. Uh, he wanted to make all the decisions. And the problem was is that when you're a physician and you're making restaurant decisions, it's not always a good idea that if you've never bust a table, but you're making restaurant decisions. So um, I knew eventually that wasn't, you know, because Houston's was a very much had the culture of everybody that's done, yeah. everybody that's gone up through there has pretty much done everything. So, uh, yeah, so that's when I started looking around for a place and found the location on 21st Avenue. Uh, I drove past it after leaving a meeting with an investor and a huh. owner of one of the restaurants. <clears throat> and I looked up and that meeting had gone south with, with my investor and the restaurant owner uh, to buy that. That meeting went south fast. And so I was leaving that meeting very disappointed because I thought, here it goes. Here's my spot. Here's a chance. I got somebody backing me up. I've got uh, this location, it's a good location, and <clears throat> like it just it just blew up completely. And so when I made a left turn, looked up and saw that 21st Avenue location for lease. Was, was it like, Jonathan's, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, it was a Jonathan's um, Grill back then. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I think I want to say it was the original Jonathan's. Yeah, and, it was. Uh, it was owned. It was owned by Jonathan Nebel, which I've never seen him, never met him. Um, <clears throat> I just, Are you guys? Um, do you know him now? Are you guys close? Um, I've I've never met him. I've never seen him. I don't even know what, what he looks like. Yeah. I don't. I've never um, met him either. But like, he's got to be your biggest direct competitor as far as like sports bars and what he's doing, right? Well, um, you know, I I had heard a story that he supposedly told that didn't put. Mm, didn't put Al and I in, in a good light. And so ever since then, I, I, I said, you know, it was complete, a complete made up story because I had never met the person and his story was so <clears throat> regardless. What was the story? I, a, <clears throat> that he had taught Al and I the sports bar business and he had sold <laughs> the business to him. I mean, he sold the business to us for just a crazy amount. And uh, I said, what? <laughs> and, and, and which is one of the reasons I took it, you know, which is one of the reasons I looked up and said, man, that's opportunity because they were always busy and it was inconsistent food, inconsistent service, and they were always busy. And I was like, you know, if I could do that really well, like, imagine how busy I would be. Yeah, as like, like consistent food and consistent service, I was like, that's Houston's all the way. I, like, I can do that with my eyes closed. Uh, so I didn't even go home at that point. I, I made a right turn, took off, went and found my uh, went and went to find Al, who had bought Sperry's from his dad about a year earlier, <clears throat> and I ran in the back door. And I tell you, that year he was he he took it over from his dad. You want to talk about somebody 
putting in their, you know, putting their head in the business 16 hours a day for seven days a week for a year. That's what Al did when it came, when he took over his dad's restaurant, because uh, it was on the way down and that would have been 25 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So he, he was, um, yeah. So he, so <clears throat> I showed up and I said, Al, we have this opportunity. I said, do you know that Jonathan's will be able to go out? It's like, it's, I said, I go, I've been in there plenty of times, inconsistent, good, inconsistent service. I said, and they're packed. And he's like, hmm. <clears throat> and he had, he was just about putting all the systems in place at Sperry. So he was starting to build a breathing room. So uh, it was kind of like, uh, huh. So he thought about it and thought, about it. he said, how much money you can get your hands on? And uh, he told me, I said, I, I, you know, I said, I don't know. I said, I guess, uh, you know, I said, I, I do have a home that I've been putting a lot of, in, I've put a lot of built up. So, you know, it probably appraises for more. I said, I know I can get a HELOC for, I don't know, 800,000. And I said, I, I think about another 50. I said, so maybe about another 150,000. And he said, huh, that's not going to be enough. I said, okay, well, uh, what? I said, no, no, no. I came up, I said, I said, 50,000 in equity, 50,000 in cash. I said, I, so that's about 100,000. He goes, we're going to need 200,000 each. And I'm looking at him going, Al, I, I, I don't know where I'm going to get $100,000. I'm like, I, he goes, hmm, your parents or in-laws? I said, no, nobody's going to hand me $100,000 for that. He goes, huh. He goes, well, you sure your pass is only going to appraise for 50000 more? He said, yeah. He's like, well, let's go ahead and get another appraisal. Let's, let's, let's. He, I said, well, I don't have any. I just think it. He goes, oh, well, let's, let's just go ahead and let's see what you can get on your HELOC, your home equity loan. And yeah. I said, well, all right. Because I bought, I had bought the, the, not the rundown house. With the house that needed updated, you know, in a nice neighborhood, I need. I bought the house that needed to be redone. Sure, that's I the house you buy. Yeah, exactly. I had redone it. So sure enough, guy comes back, does the appraisal on my house, and uh, you know, I got five hundred bucks in cash on me right then. And I said, so what do you think this house is going to appraise at? And he <laughs> said, mm. he said you'll probably have a, a a line of credit for about. Hundred thousand dollars, yeah. and I said, you know, minus what I owed, you know, eighty percent of the, what you don't owe. And, and sure. I said, hundred thousand. I said, I'll give you. I said, I'll give you five hundred bucks if you make it so I can have a hundred and fifty thousand dollar line of credit. And he looked at me and said, "You keep your five hundred bucks, and I'll give you another twenty five. How about that?" And so that gave me a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar line of credit, and I had fifty thousand, and I had fifty thousand in cash, so that gave us one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Al came up with one hundred and seventy-five thousand, so we're at three hundred and fifty thousand, obviously. And then we brought in a third partner, which is a long-term friend, childhood friend of Al's, and he came in with fifty thousand, and uh, went, and then they own ten percent. Uh, 10% at $50,000. So <clears throat> uh, we eventually bought him out. It didn't take long for us to say, okay. Um, I think five years later down the road. Oh yeah, yeah, five years down the road, he did. A, he made a really good investment and he did well. And um, were you always a part owner in Sperry's or did you, after you and Al kind of 
did this thing with Sam's, did you then buy into Sperry's? How did that work out? Well, um, I have a very, very small interest in Bellmead. Very small interest. Okay. Um, tiny. Uh, I, in fact, just the interest that it does well because I own half a Cool Springs because about <clears throat> 13 years ago, he said, you know, I'm thinking about going to Cool Springs. I said, with Sperry's? He said, yeah. And I said, well, okay. And he said, you want half? And I said, well, sure. Um, and Different so conversation this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At this point, there's actually, you know, there's actually money. Let's said, roll. Yeah, sure. yeah, let's do this. And uh, and and that's where coming into. I think we're twelve or thirteen years, twelve years that we've been open. Uh, once <laughs> a very very good. That's you know, but <clears throat> you know that's and then that's how it's basically when you go into. A, a restaurant, if you can bring in somebody that you know and you trust that's willing to take half the risk because, you know, there's a lot of risk in the restaurant business. So, Well, two people who are vested like that puts, you know, one of the things you always want is you want to hire people that think like an owner, right? And if you have two owners that think like owners who are operators, it helps. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, and Al had worked for Houston's for, I believe, three years. So he also had that same Houston's mentality and the same culture. And then I met Bob Tappan when he opened Brick Tops on West End. <clears throat> and Bob's a military guy, and he is a old school Houston's guy. What was it like bringing him on? I mean, because this was well, <clears throat> years ago, 10, 12 years ago? Yep, 12 years ago, 11 years ago. Well, somewhere in there. Well. And another backstory in Houston, at Houston's in Boca Raton, Florida, Houston's transferred me from Houston, Texas to Boca Raton, Florida as a server. Wow. Just as a server. Yeah. So uh, my girlfriend at the time and I, they said, we'll move y'all if y'all want to be, a, you know, because we were top servers at one of the stores in Houston. And so they said, would you be willing to go to Boca Raton, Florida? I said, absolutely we would. <clears throat> and so I'm a server. And who's the, who's the salad daytime salad man? Bob Tappan. Oh. So that's going back easily 30 years. So, you know, we always go back and we talk about 19, you know, 1990 when he was a salad man and I was a server. And uh, that's how long I've known Bob. And Bob originally came to Nashville to help me open Princeton's. And... I think Bob had seen the writing on the wall where that the owner was um, making a lot of poor decisions and wasn't really listening to the experienced restaurant guys like he like he said he would do, uh, which is one of the reasons he's like, no, I'm going to finance it. I'm going to do locations. You guys run the restaurants, you guys. <clears throat> and unfortunately, you know, that wasn't the case. Uh, and he just made poor decisions. So Bob saw that early. And he went back to Houston after, oh, I guess, about a year. Uh, and then after that, he was with Houston's for several years, opened Palm Beach Grill, and then worked for Back Bay Restaurant in Boston and worked for another restaurant company out of Minnesota. And then the president of Brick Tops, um, hired him to come to Nashville and open Brick Tops. So 
before they opened Bricktops, he was the original culinary person. Yeah, he's like the corporate for, chef for Yeah, yeah. I have a question uh, about and he was with them. Yeah. So <laughs> please. So Brandon and I were talking about this earlier and like I live in downtown Franklin. So I've been to the Cool Springs Ferries quite a few times. And um, are the lack of windows intentional? Like I told him, I was like, it feels like a casino where you like don't know how long you've been there. Is that intentional? We're going to get the answer to that question right after this break from our sponsors. Trust 20 is the new standard of restaurant safety and diner comfort. Trust 20 restaurants are part of a national network of restaurants that meet a high standard of cleanliness and safety, giving diners confidence in the measures you're taking to keep them safe. Trust 20 restaurants receive expert guidance, operational resources, and benefit from diner-focused promotion on behalf of Trust 20 network of participants. So how do you get certified? It's easy. First, go to trust20.co and request a certification appointment. Then, a Trust 20 specialist will reach out and arrange a visit. The specialist conducts a 60-minute review and consultation according to Trust 20 tactics. If adjustments are needed, the Trust 20 specialist will provide guidance to assist. Now that you're certified, have peace of mind that you're doing everything you can to keep your restaurant safe and start enjoying the benefits of Trust 20 certification. Remember, visit Trust the number 20 co to request your certification appointment today when talking about what chefs want really the question is how do they do it no fees no fuel charges no surcharges never this allows you to order as much or as little as you need as often as you need seven day delivery access products every day trimming your waste increasing your valuable shelf life and allowing you fresher product 24-7 customer support. Call, text, chat, email, anytime from anywhere. Uh, they take a team approach to serving you at 800-600-8510 or whatchefswant.com. They have a very they have very diverse product lines, so their chefs have access to thousands of items across many different categories that allow them to receive fresh products daily. This type of flexibility helps chefs with the ability to offer and test new menu items with ease. They have hundreds of trucks on the road every day to reach their vast market. Their focus is tight urban areas where groups of restaurants and chefs are located. Additionally, they have trucks from coast to coast bringing products to farms and artisans across the globe. You can order through your phone app or online. They truly are what chefs want. Check them out at whatchefswant.com. Supersource is the answer to your dish machine and chemical needs in your restaurant. They've got zero minimums and zero contracts, so they have to earn your business every single week. Zero minimums. Zero, they're not going to make you sign a five-year contract, even if you lease the dish machine from them. It's amazing. Jason Ellis is a hard-working man, and he is here to help save you money, increase the cleanliness of your dishes, and provide the best service in Nashville. So check them out. Go to our website at NashvilleRestaurantRadio.com. Click the Sponsors tab. Find the link for Supersource. And if you sign up there, you will get three free months of dish machine rentals right now. You can also check them out at Supersource.com. Or you can call Jason Ellis directly at 770-337-1143. So Brandon and I were talking about this earlier and like I live in downtown Franklin. So I've been to the cool Springs ferries quite a few times. 
And um, are the lack of windows intentional? Like I told him, I was like, it feels like a casino where you like don't know how long you've been there. Is that intentional? Uh, <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. yeah because uh, as intentional say, as a telebar. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's another interesting story. You know, it's one of those things about my business partner. He is. <clears throat> He, you know, one of the things when we said, well, we're thinking about doing another Sperry's in Cool Springs. And people would say, you can never duplicate Sperry's. You can't duplicate Sperry's. There's no way. Because that used to be an old garden building. And so so all of a sudden that caught up in Al's head. He said, that's it. We're going to we're gonna duplicate Sperry's exactly. So that when you walk in the front door, you think you're, you know, you think you're in the middle of Belmede, right off. Uh, highway off right off <clears throat> highway 100 and uh so we sent in an architect that went in to measure everything and to duplicate the one on the west end mm -hmm. um <clears throat> all the way to you know there's no windows mm -hmm. uh there's no windows so so yes it was intentional because we were duplicating the exact uh build out of west What's end the, is that like the number one comment that you get about it people walking away it feels like i'm in belmede and do you just kind of smile every time yeah oh yeah people say that people say yeah you know we went in there we, we went in it was my first time we went in we had dinner we had we were meeting friends we we had drinks uh, then we had appetizers and we had dinner and then we had after dinner drinks and by that time it was later in the night and then so when we walked out the front door i was like where the hell am i because now mm -hmm. they're in a parking lot in Franklin and they're not, they're expecting to see the highway and it's just like a shock to them. You know, cause of course, you know, okay. Did you have a couple of martinis right, you know, during appetizers? Did you have a couple of glasses of wine at dinner? Did you have a, you know, a cafe Sperry or a, an after, an after dinner cocktail, you know, maybe a little feeling, feeling, feeling good. And feeling good. They walk out there like, they're like, Whoa, where the hell am I? We, we actually, and one of the spots in the West End store, if you're there late enough and you're in the bar, there's a side door. That's the emergency exit. And a lot of people, because it leads straight out to the parking lot. Instead of getting up, going all the way out to the front door, going all the way out to the front of the building, and then walking to the back of the building. You can just go out that side door, and bam, you're right there in the parking lot. Yeah. And a lot of people know that. So, uh, <clears throat> so during construction, we said, how are we going to put like a fake door right there? Because it's the emergency exit at West End. And I said, and so my business partner goes, we'll just get an emergency exit sign and put it right there and just put like a fake door that won't open. <laughs> the, uh, the fire marshal said, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, there's no, there's no such thing as a fake emergency exit. Right. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> so needless to say, we, um, that's the only thing that's not, that doesn't duplicate the West End store. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I was pregnant and I wanted that Bananas Foster like so badly. <laughs> but uh, we never made it there because I was pregnant during the pandemic. So we didn't like go out uh, a lot. <laughs> gotcha, what was your experience like throughout the pandemic, Sam? Like what I saw in our, I saw a news piece on you where I mean, you were talking about how insurance companies <clears throat> are worthless when it comes to the pandemic loss business protection, which I think there's a bunch of lawsuits out there right now against insurance companies for just not right. covering. I think their, their stance was we'd go out of business if we paid everybody. And it's like, 
So we get to go out of business? Like, no, we have insurance for? Yeah, you know, that was a, the, no, uh, the, the business, business interruption insurance. <clears throat> and that was a, you know, the first thing we did, one of, one of the first things is we get this email from our insurance company that says, hey, by, by the way, don't bother putting a claim in for business interruption insurance for the pandemic because um, it's not going to be covered. It's like, what? Wait a minute. I haven't even, I haven't even filed a claim yet. And you're telling me don't bother? What, what kind of, so you're just sending a blanket statement to all your clients. Hey, by the way, don't, don't even bother trying to. So you, you think that, oh, I got to don't, don't bother worry. I'm turning in that car accident. You know, it's like insurance companies like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So <clears throat> when we got an email like that, I called a friend of mine and I said, uh, uh, Blair Durham, you know, uh, Durham and Durham, or Durham. Bart Durham. Uh, Bart Durham, yeah. So Blair Durham, Durham, Durham is a friend of mine. Uh, and I said, hey, Blair, you know, what, 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 what's, you know, is this, is this the real deal? And he said, you know, Sam, there's, let me look into it. You know, I've heard some stuff. Let me let me get back to you. And I think about a week later, he he uh, he handed me off to an attorney that was putting together. He thought, you know, he's got some he's got some teeth in it. Let's just go ahead and let's go ahead and file the business interruption. And uh, you know, of course, they're going to deny it. But then at that point, if they deny it, then that can put you in a, you know, then we can file a lawsuit along with. Yeah. Um, and of course, at this time, you know, we are, um, we've, we haven't, uh, we haven't terminated any of our management. I mean, we, we servers and cooks, we didn't have the cooks to, for them to cook anything. And we didn't have the servers to serve anything. We were closed, but we, we decided not to get rid of any of our management, keep all of our managers, even people that we pro even we hired, but they hadn't officially started yet. We even, um, kept those people. We just thought that was the right thing to do because, um, you know, most of them were family people. Um, they had <clears throat> wife and kids and, uh, we just, we just didn't feel right about getting rid of them. So of course I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Put us in that lawsuit. Sure. <clears throat> and said, you know, because that's the, you know, we couldn't, it was hard for us to wrap our head at the time when we said, okay, this is business interruption. That's what we have. And they're saying they're not going to cover it. Well, you know, and then, you know, you have a great point. Wait, you're going to, you're not going to go out of business, but you want us to go out of business. And so at that point, it's, we, we, we jumped on that <clears throat> only to find out probably about six months later that, um, that it didn't have no, there was no uh, judge that was willing to take on the big case, and uh, and there was only one one judge said maybe this has teeth, and then when it got kicked up to it was in Mississippi, and then when it got kicked up to the next level, um, that was kicked out. So, and by that time there was PPP money rolling out, and so they just assumed that everybody was going to be able to benefit from the PPP money, and. Um, <clears throat> That should protect the insurance companies. And 
um, to this day, I think, uh, yes, all the insurance company would have crashed and burned. They would, they would have definitely. Uh, so as I put it, you know, <clears throat> everybody was either, everybody was going down or, you know, what they ended up doing is just picking and choose who was, who actually went down and got money, but it was very, um, it was very enlightening knowing that the insurance company could just all of a sudden say, no, we're not going to cover that. <laughs> it was a scary time. <laughs> yes. Um, I read more during the pandemic mm. regarding, regarding PPP. I'm sorry, I'm lagging again. Oh, okay. Well, should I just continue? Yeah, go ahead. Brandon, uh, I'll okay. come in and out. <clears throat> okay. Um, <clears throat> During that time, I just I read every bit of information that was coming out regarding any kind of business assistance, um, any kind of business uh, interruption, you know, law. All I could do is read every single day any anything that would come out that would give us a heads up on how soon the pandemic was going to be over, how soon the lockdown was going to be over, how soon. Uh, you know, what were the regulations for, um, mm -hmm. uh, for that the CDC was putting out on a daily basis? Um, <clears throat> we stayed on top of it so much so that we actually put somebody, uh, one of our HR person officially became the pandemic person that was in charge of reading the, on a daily basis, all the details. And I'm going to say it was, <clears throat> on Thursday is when a lot of the CDC and state rules and regulations started coming out. So she would stay on top of the, all the information on a Thursday, kind of type up a, a cliff notes of it. And then what it meant for us as restaurants and what we had to do and keep us, that would keep us pretty much in line and keep us <clears throat> up to the second uh, knowledgeable of what we could and couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And so, so, I yeah, so she, would, the, she would put out constantly. Sure. I assume the pivots that you had to make for Sam's and for Sperry's were very different. I mean, I know like I, the restaurant my husband and I own with our partners already had a really great to go business and we're fast casual. So we didn't have to build an entire new facet to our business, right? Like we did a lot of to go and that was fine because we'd been used to that. Obviously it was numbers we weren't accustomed to, but still we were able to kind of continue that. Whereas I was at Maribel and we did a ton of to go, but it, it, what our guests weren't used to doing the amount of to go that they were then doing. So what did the pivots look like for Sam's and then for Sperry's? Those are so different, <clears throat> you know, different um, entities. Right. Well, um, they were they had they had the same problems mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was just maybe in a different um like a little bit different perspective as in like a you know sperry's to go we we, we, we had nicer to go containers very mm -hmm. much a pick up a nice dinner um where that we had before the to-go boxes were <clears throat> just your styrofoam to-go box you know biodegradable to-go box and you know we you're you're pretty much your leftovers well, we mm -hmm. put to-go's in that because, yeah, we may have three to-go's a night at Sperry's. So, I mean, next to none. Right. <clears throat> maybe maybe six to eight entrees mm -hmm. um, with some sides. That was it. 
uh, and then, you know, of course that turns into, you know, $4,000 worth of to go. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, the nicer containers, nicer, just trying to make it nicer. So that it was taking away the Sperry's experience. And mm-hmm. then with Sam's, we just used, yeah, we, we kind of went a little, a little bit further out and did something with to go. So the problems were similar. Um, there was good thing that the Sperry's was only open um, at night mm-hmm. uh, because we, even though the cool spring store is open during the day now, during the pandemic, we were only open for the five hours in the evening from uh, five, uh, four hours, four from, uh, I'm five sorry, to from nine. four to nine. Yeah, four, four to nine. Uh, so five hours, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it made it easier because we would bring in servers that knew how to box it up and take care of it. But uh, And that was a way for some of our servers to make money uh, doing to-go. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing for Sam's. We uh, we uh, had to kind of change around to switching from what used to be three percent of our business to you know now turned into well, I mean, one hundred percent of our business during that. But it, it we easily started doing ten times what we were doing in to go. Oh yeah, at Sam's. Mm-hmm. So. How, and, yeah. Speaking of like pandemic pivots and just operating the restaurants, you've got a pretty good team in place. How often are you in the building? Like, are you active and actually operating? I know you've had some surgeries and some different things over the years. I see you most yeah. at the car wash in Bellevue seems to be like our meeting place because I think you and I share the same affinity for washing cars, which is weird, uh, but <laughs> it's something we share. How often are you in the, in the restaurants? Um, well, yeah, that's, a, I'm glad you set up the, I've had some issues. Um, when I had my eighth and ninth spinal surgery, mm. um, my, wow. my eighth surgery was a, <clears throat> was, um, I have rods going from my pelvic. I have six rods and about 30 screws from my pelvics to my shoulder blades and the rods go from my pelvics up to my shoulders. Uh, and screws um, that kind of tie it in, and they're not straight up and down. They they kind of the rods the rods work like that. So I'm I'm allowed I'm able to move back and forth. It's called a biometric uh, spinal surgery by mm. a, a neuro a neuro and an ortho surgeon both work on you together for about six hours, and so that the neuro says, okay, from each of their perspective of, cause it's kind of a surgery that they don't really, they have an idea what they're going to do, but they don't until they have you wide open and say, okay, we're going to run it like this and run it like that in order so that he can move around and still, still do this. And so, like I said, those two surgeons work together because generally an ortho has a way he does things and a neuro has a way he does things. But if you get them together and they're both discussing your surgery, you come out with a much more successful surgery. So, of course, after that, I had to learn to walk again. Uh, so I was in the hospital, and I guess <clears throat> all together for a little over three weeks when I got out of the physical therapy. That you know, and then still, then I had to walk. And if you look at me now, you can tell that I still don't walk. I guess correctly or the way I used to, 
but I, I can walk now and that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. And then six, six, six months after that, so pretty much all the duties I had um, kind of like got moved over and Bob took on some and some other people took on some of my duties. And then about six months after that, uh, I was driving, coming, coming from Hills from, from Hendersonville and I had just had a, oh my God, I, I had, <clears throat> of course, when you turn 50 and, you know, you need a colonoscopy and uh, an upper GI and they check me, completely check you out, you know, from top to bottom, you know, you know, like, well, okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and I had a, uh, I get this phone call from a gentleman that says, um, you know, well, good evening, Mr. Sanchez. My name is uh, Dr. Berlin. I'm going to be your oncologist. And I said, um, Why sorry, do Dr. I need an oncologist? Dr. Well, I said, yeah, I'm sorry, Dr. Berlin, you have a wrong, I said, unfortunately, I said, you have the wrong number. I, I, yes, my name is Sam Sanchez, but you, somewhere you've, you've got the, you know, you have the wrong file because I don't have an oncologist. And after that, he says, oh, is you, did, did Max Caudel work on you recently? And I said, yeah. He goes, did he say he was going to send your results to be looked at? And I said, yeah, I think he said those exact words. He as well, he was sending them to an oncologist to look at them, and that would be me. He said, we, uh, we need to get you back in here for another upper GI because we, um, we found some things. Okay, so I'm driving down the road, and I said, this is real. This is happening. This guy is officially my oncologist. This, he doesn't just make a phone call. And I said, okay, Doc, I, I need to pull over because I'm sure you're going to say words that I need to write down, and then I need to <laughs> Google once I get home. Because um, so I pulled over on the side of the highway right there and just started trying to write down everything that he'd told me. So that was six months after my surgery. I'm, I'm barely walking. I'm making jokes by saying, you know, I can, I can sum up my whole week by saying how many times I fell down. Like, oh, you know, I only fell down, you know, I used to fall down twice a day. Now I'm only falling down once a day, you know. And so that's like, oh, yeah, I only fell down three times this week. You know, and those, they were really fall downs where I would be walking and then all of a sudden my foot decided it didn't want to go anymore. And I'd fall down. Um, mm-hmm. So I, mm. I mean, it was funny, but it, but they were real fall downs, you know. Sure. And when, you know, I'd walk to a restaurant and I was, as I'm walking, all of a sudden I would fall down. You know, people freak out when you fall down. And then we go, man, that's Sam. How did he fall? Well, he fell down in his own restaurant. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm falling down all the time these days. And. I try to make a joke out of it and make light of it. But really, to me, I was actually keeping score. Like, God, I only fell down three times this week. Last week, I fell down five times. So I'm getting better. <laughs> Did you so, ever hurt yourself when you fall down? No, no. Because they were like slow motion fall downs because it was really, uh, I was walking again, but my muscles haven't hadn't built up. So they were slow, they were slow motion fall downs, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, so what uh, the, and, you pulled over with what the oncologist yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry i pulled over he said uh, we we just need you back in here because it you have um you have uh tumors in your stomach and they are not the type of tumors that usually end up in your stomach and um so uh, i went in and had those checked out and sure enough they said okay we're going to, we're, we're going to see, we're pretty sure these aren't the, the, the aggressive tumors. Um, we're pretty sure that we're going to 
we're going to send these off and have them looked at. Now, the lab that takes a look at these, it's going to take about three weeks because they're it's in Montana. I'm like, wait, what? And he says, yeah, it's, it's kind of it's a specialty lab, and it's going to take a little while. Of course, he goes, I said three weeks. He goes, yeah, it might it might take two weeks, but it's a specialty lab. And I said, I really having trouble processing this. I said, can you can we send it to another lab and pay more money and figure this out? And he goes, no, like I said, this is a specialty lab. This is how long it takes. We're, we're pretty sure they're not aggressive um, tumors. So you're safe. You're good. Of course, I'm scratching my head going, okay, no, no, this isn't good, okay? <laughs> this is not good. And it turned out <clears throat> they were they were not the aggressive tumors, but they were still growing. And so he said, well, we're going to wait six months to see if these tumors are getting bigger or they're, or what's happening. I said, well, are we going to treat them? And he said, no, let's just see how fast they're growing. Uh, so I got to, so for six months, I had, um, I kind of waited around and uh, to find out if we were going to have the surgery. And he said, if we, he goes, we have, we can wait six months or we can do the surgery. He goes, the surgery is so evasive that you, you don't want to just do it. You want to be sure that that's what you absolutely positively should do. He goes, and I'm not sure if that's, I'm not a hundred percent positive. We need to take a, I think we need to take a look, give it some time. And I said, time, how long? He said, we're going to look at it in six months. Um, very long six months, very long six months. Um, I was still I was still working and doing things, but in the back of my mind, you know, my my mind always kind of went back to oh, by the way, you know, you have cancer in your stomach. Um, so at the end of six months, he said, okay, you know, they're 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 getting bigger very slowly, but they're getting bigger. So I think we should probably move forward with the surgery if you're good with it. Uh, and I said, okay, mm. so what happens? Because we cut That's out the bottom bit. half of your stomach. Yeah, yeah. He said, we, we cut out the bottom half of your stomach because the bottom half of your stomach is where the nutrients are that are feeding the tumors. Once we cut about the bottom half of the stomach, what tumors we don't get will probably get smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. I said, so we're not even going to, we're not even sure if we're going to be able to get them all. He said, no. And I said, all right. He said, but they should stop growing. And if they, if they, if they're not growing, then eventually they'll just uh, go away. I said, so, all right. So that was a, that was a little over a week mm. in the hospital where they cut out the bottom half of my stomach. And, uh, so where pretty, are you at now? Yeah, pretty big surgery. So where I'm, I'm sorry, long, long. So, uh, that was three years ago. And so after that, after, after the back surgery and then the stomach surgery, pretty much all my duties had been shift shifted to other people. And then after that, it was kind of, you know, kind of, kind of got to reflect and say, okay, do I really want to go back oh. to working as many hours a week? And uh, we, we put some people in places in order for me to not work as much. And so now I get to kind of work as much or as little as I want to. That's nice. You got to yeah. be able to kind of enjoy that a little bit. That's why I probably see you at the car wash place all the time. Yes. Yes. What is it? What is it with you? Because. I know you're a car guy. I know you like cars. I've seen you in many different cars. What is it about? For me, washing cars is um, just to be weird. I <laughs> like the immediate 
gratification of taking a car and cleaning it and like, wow, it looks so clean. I just did that because so many things in my life, I start working on a six month project or we're working on farmer's markets for October. And it's like, we talk about it in June and then July. And then you start putting pieces together. You don't get to see the final result until six months later. I wash a car, I mow my yard. And an hour later, I see a result and that makes me happy. What is it with you? Do you just, is it just, I just like to do something? Are you bored? Or are you, what's, what's your car washing thing? You know, um, I, I, you're, you're right. I'm, I am kind of a car guy. Um, uh, I think, uh, I, you're, you're right. We do have projects that last forever. We, we think about a restaurant and then six months later we break ground and then five months later providing everything runs smooth. We're, uh, you know, we're turning the key, you know, and then, then we have that first year that's just brutal. So I, mm -hmm. I guess maybe it's that gratification, but I mean, I, I, I I do like to uh, jump around and play with cars. Like I, 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 every, probably about every year I get crazy and I look for a car and I decide that I, I like a particular car and it can be this color, this color, or this color. And I'll look around and find it somewhere in the country and then throw some crazy offer at them. And sometimes they take it and sometimes they don't. Uh, so, uh, but. Do you get a new car every yeah. year? No, well, I have, I have my one truck. I have my truck that I drive. It's um, like an Escalade. It's an yeah, it's an, it's a it's an eighteen es Escalade uh, that okay. I drive, and that's my everyday car. And then I have a, a fun play around car, and that's the one that I it, like. And I don't buy brand new. I buy generally two or three years old. Yeah. Uh, and what's your fun play around car? Uh, like right now? Yeah. Uh, it's a Ferrari California. Roadster. Nice. Yeah. What color? Um, black. Black, yeah, black Ferrari. Yeah. I told my, uh, I told my fiance. I said, uh, she's like, uh, what are you doing today? And I said, really? And she's like, and she stopped and she's looking at me and she's like, yes, really. I said, I'm, I'm going to Knoxville to buy a Ferrari. She's like, uh huh. What color? Is it what color? Black. She's like, are you going to be home today? I was like, yeah. She's like, <laughs> early Take enough that we can go for a ride? Yeah. She's like, I said, yeah. She's like, okay. Uh, and she's she's had a few of those conversations before. Like, right? where are you going today? Uh, going to go buy a motorcycle? And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> where is it? It's in Alabama. Oh, okay. I guess I'll see you later tonight. It's like, yeah. Wow. And usually, usually Bob, who is our director of operations, who was the salad man 32 years ago, uh, is usually my partner in crime in most of these. Um, <laughs> I'll bet yeah. he drives for his up. last for his yeah for his last motorcycle. We uh, we went to North Carolina and picked it up. So the last time I saw Bob, I was it was when we had that big snow this past year. And it was just iced over. It was on Val you know, Valentine's Day. And like four days after Valentine's Day, I I live, I don't live too far from you. Uh, but I um <laughs> I was dry I did drive downtown. I took High 100 all the way and I drove back and I saw Bob outside of Sam's place and he was shoveling the drive, like shoveling out front of the and I pulled over and I said, Hey man, I just saw you out here. Nobody else on the street. And I go, What are you doing? He goes, I couldn't, I I I 
I couldn't stay home another day. It's three days. I've been at home. I'm done. I'm shoveling the thing. We're open in the damn place. I couldn't do it. And I just started laughing. I was like, I feel you, man. I'm going stir crazy in the house all day long. I got to get out and do something. You know, one thing about <laughs> right before the pandemic started. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing about Bob no, was, and Roger, who's yeah. Bob's our director of operations, and Roger is our area director, is uh, their motto is play to win. They're play oh, yeah. to win. You know, uh, many years ago, I used to tell them, because I don't know if you remember, it, the village, I always say, village never closes. We don't close. It's like when we turn in, when, when, there's a, when there's a hurricane or when there's a storm or when there's an ice storm, we're like, um, we're like the Red Cross. We stay open because this is true. This is true. I keep, I, to this day, <clears throat> you know, during these, whatever, during an ice storm or whatnot, you know, you may not be able to work, may not be able to work, but you can't work, you can't get to school, you can't get to work, you can't get to the places that you need to do but you know what you know you know, you know where you can make it to? you can make it to the bar <laughs> yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's amazing people will always do that yeah so so that's why we i always said you know we don't close we we stay open and what's funny is all of a sudden you start hearing and now it's even crazier because back you know, going way back when yeah people would call each other but now it's immediate it's text like, where are you? And all of a sudden, you're on social media, and they're on social media, and then they're sending a picture of the you're 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 open, and then there's a crowd, and there's people going, there's people, ah, oh, people. All of a sudden, somebody with a big four wheel drive goes and picks up three or four more people, and they show up there. Before you know it, it is busy. It's a zoo. It's crazy busy. Now you know. And then I remember one time we we tried to close. I was like, okay, we don't have power. We had the front garage doors open. I'm like, yeah, we don't have power. I said, I said, technically we can stay open because we can serve chips and salsa. I said, but it's, you know, we're working off one register that has a battery back, so we're gonna have to shut it down pretty soon. So I said, so start telling your tables that we're gonna have to start shutting it down. They can have one more round, and I want to say this is probably about six o'clock at night. All of a sudden, you got. No, don't close, don't close. And all of a sudden people, one after the other. I'm like, look guys, I only have four servers tonight. I said, I usually run with seven. I said, I don't, <laughs> I said, I don't have a, I said, I have a dishwasher and I have one cook. I said, my cook's gonna quit on me if I, if you know. And he was like, no, no, don't, don't close, don't close. And I'm like, look, I don't even have anybody to bust the tables. They all turned around and went up and started bussing tables and took them all to the back. And I looked back. And there's another regular, you know, a good guy guest back there. And he's like, oh, I used to wash dishes. And he's like putting dishes through the rack, through, uh, through, uh, through, uh, you know, you know, we had half power. That's what it was. We had half power because uh, we had some lights on. And I don't know how exactly it worked, uh, but just some of the building had power and some of it didn't. The dishwasher worked. Some of the lights worked. And that's why one register was working. And I was, they said, no, don't close, don't mm. close. So I'm like, all right, guys, you know what? You know, I said, start. I said, once we run out of glassware, I said, just start putting things in styrofoam cups, anything and everything. Put, start putting drafts in. And uh, yeah, customers wouldn't let me close because we were the only place open. And, that's such uh, a testament to Nashville, I feel. I mean, that's like, that's to me the essence of the city, right? Where they will really support 
the businesses they love that are local that they feel make whatever neighborhood they're in. I mean, whether it's Franklin, East Nashville, Hillsborough Village, whatever. It's a very Nashville story, I feel. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, there would be, yeah, there there were plenty of times where, I mean, I could probably give you several stories of, of where Nashvillians jump in. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all about Nashville. You know, I remember yeah. right after this, you know, after 2010, during the big flood, uh, how many people would just, I mean, groups of people would come in where they had gone and volunteered at this whole one section and they had worked all day. And then they said, all right, everybody, let's go for beers, happy hour at Sam's. And then they end up at, you know, at mm-hmm. our place and they're all wearing the same color t-shirts or something like that or you know whatnot. But yeah. Brandon's lagging. He's trying to talk. <laughs> yeah. God, I hate that. Jen, can you hear me? No. <laughs> um, I was going to wrap. I, I feel like I'm, am I back on now? Yeah, you're yeah. fine now. Okay. Sam, I just want to say thank you for taking the time today. And I'm sorry about the, um, the technical issues with the internet and the sound, but um, some good stories. And you've been somebody who's been a good friend of me for a really long time. And I appreciate everything you've done for me over my career and supporting me as a salesperson and all the different ventures that I've had and um, for, for creating these places that have created so many memories for so many people in our industry. I bet you people are going to hear this and go, man, that Sam's in Hillsborough Village was our place. I mean, everybody who worked in a restaurant anywhere near there spent time at that bar and knew Maha and knew uh, Jesse and all the people that were were bartending there, and just it was just an amazing, amazing place. And all of your places uh, continue to do that. In North Alabama, you've now now you've got and just um, thanks for taking the time today. We've got to do this again with a little bit better connection. But one of the things that I always do, I like the guest to take us out of the show. So, kind of a Jerry's final thought. Whatever you want to say to the people of Nashville, the restaurant tours, the people that work in restaurants that are listening to this right now, the floor is yours. Whatever you want to say to take us out, as long as you want to say it, go. Oh man. You know, God, I, I wish you'd give me a, I wish you'd give me a, a, a pre. Uh, a heads up. A heads up on this question, because, you know, one thing I, I'd have to tell you is like, you know, Nashville has been, very, very, very good to me. Uh, just the people of Nashville, and I can't, I can't go somewhere and and not have this happen to me. Where, you know, what? It's funny you should say that. Where people say, "Hey, I was like, "Yeah," and I, you know, I introduce myself, and then you know, I always say, "My name's Sam Sanchez." I never just come out and say Sam, and then I, 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 I hate saying, "Oh, I'm the owner," just because you know you hear that people do that stuff all the time. So I keep it quiet. It never fails, but somebody goes, hey, you know Sam's? This is Sam. This is real. And then they go, oh, I didn't know there was a real Sam. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then they go, and then they go into a story. And every single person has a Sam story. And if you, if, and they do. And they'll tell me their story. And I, and sometimes I'm even in the story. I just don't remember it because it might just been, a five minute window of my crazy day that, cause back then we, like I said, we used to be one of these spots and 
it was just five minutes of a crazy day. And they were telling me the story that it either ended, uh, they're a crazy story, and they it would either start at Sam's or end at Sam's or somebody they met at Sam's or something that happened there. Or, uh, and I mean, I, and I love, love, love hearing that. One of these days, I, I should probably start jotting down Sam's stories that people would tell me because I think so many people, and yeah, so many people would tell me, oh, I met my fiance there. Oh, I asked my, uh, or they'd tell me uh, a crazy, like, hey, this is, I met my fiance, I met this girl here at Trivia Night, and I'm going to ask her to marry her. Can I ask her to marry me here? I'm like, dude, take her somewhere. Take her somewhere nice, please. Don't do it here. Okay. Don't do it here. Because we met here. I'm like, you know, uh, so he, he truly meant it as a compliment, but obviously I went into his soon-to-be wife at a nice place to ask him to But nevertheless, somebody has, and the, how awesome, and it's funny, you should say, the vol- people that volunteer and how awesome the people in Nashville are, that, <clears throat> and people don't get it. Uh, you can try to explain to them because I say, uh, this guy that just moved up from Miami, I said, you're going you're gonna to have a weird experience because people from Nashville, if in South Florida and Miami, people ask you what time it is to see what kind of watch you're wearing. People in Nashville ask you what time it is to start a conversation because that's how people are in Nashville. They want to they talk to you. They want to be nice. Um, and that's just the, the culture of Nashville. And I love it. Um, because Nashville has been uh, very good to me. Yeah, I love Nashville. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing, Sam. I have one question. You've had, and I, I, I want to. I usually just leave it at that and say, "Let's go." But you've lived a pretty full life. You've got to experience a lot throughout your life and your journey, and all these restaurants and all these travels as a young man. You know, running the Don Shulas with the view of the ocean, which is pretty pretty nice, probably a good time of your life, I imagine. Um, what's left on your bucket list? What's left that like, um, you want to do right now? What, what, what are you still thirsty for? You know, I think uh, um, what is on my, you know, I, I think um, this sounds funny, uh, and it's not what I'm really thirsty for. You know, I, I guess what's exciting for me right now is that I, you know, I have a fiance and um, she is awesome. And um, I think the, I'm thirsty for the life she and I are going to have relatively soon. And uh, and then after that, it's going to be, you know, I live for to do things. I uh, let's see, my my weekend was um, Thursday. I went. Let's see, Friday, I'm sorry, Thursday was Bob's BDB, Bob's uh, Bullets, Bikes, and Bourbon. So that was Thursday night. <laughs> we start off at the, at the, at the, uh, at the armory. Sounds super safe. <laughs> start off at the armory. Guns, motorcycles, and let's throw bourbon in the middle of it. Yeah, well, no, bourbon's at the end. Bourbon's at the okay. end. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we have to do that. No, no bourbon before Bullets. And then, um, then, Saturday, Bob calls me up and says, "Hey, you want you want to ride down to North Alabama?" I was like, "Sure, yeah." And then um, we rode down to Alabama and came back, took a three hundred mile ride. And then uh, Sunday, went out on the boat, uh, and uh, so I had some friends that were going to go with me, and they ended up <clears throat> back in 
they ended up having an issue and couldn't go up, but I still went out and enjoyed myself out on the lake. So um, I keep myself busy. Um, so what's on my bird on my on my? I think I'm ready for the other. I think I'm ready for us to go back to the point where we're able to uh, travel to Europe and do a uh, um, a Europe um, adventure and have things planned out and either rent a motorcycle or have a motorcycle sent to Europe so we can either decide to either take a convertible and discover Europe or, or parts of <clears throat> Europe or take a motorcycle, a nice motorcycle trip. So that sounds of fun. Course that's, that's, yeah, that's, well, that's after things settle down. You know, yeah. There's not a. Uh, well, it sounds like you get that people have on hand. You know, um, Brandon, I do. I one of the I, it, and this is probably for another time, uh, where that I. All right, sat Jen, I'm I'm lagging well. again. I know, I hear. <laughs> uh, I'll just leave it off of this for uh, kind of a teaser for next time. My story with uh, having dinner, uh, having my. Kicking back, feeling like I made it, and then um, and uh, in the middle of a uh, in the middle of lunch, kicking back, having a glass of wine with Coach John Shula, the all-time most winning football coach in the NFL, the only NFL coach with a perfect season. He's sitting across from me, really interested in what I've had to say about the restaurant, and then a bird comes and takes a big shit on me <laughs> literally a seagull flies by and takes a big shit on me and lands they say right that's there. good luck you know so <laughs> well I, I tell people all the time i'm the luckiest guy i know there you go it was all that bird we have him to thank yeah. <laughs> all right thank anyway, you so much for joining us time. absolutely thanks for having me okay ladies and gentlemen sam sanchez a lot of really cool stories there. I am so sorry about the audio quality. My microphone worked for maybe half of that interview. I had so many questions I was trying to ask, and I would just look at the microphone. I'd just look at the screen and be like, ah, I'm going crazy. So uh, Sam offered to do that interview again, and we may go to his house and do it. Uh, I really want to see the Ferrari. And um, just, a, just a great conversation. Just really enjoyed catching up with Sam Sanchez. Go visit... Sam's restaurants. He's got a great place, Sam's Place in Belmede. He's on Old Hickory Lake, North Alabama. Go check out. I know you guys all go to Sperry's, but um, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you this coming Sunday. Hope that you guys are being safe. Love you guys. Bye bye. <laughs>